Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Scott. I'm the pastor here at Trinity Church Prague. I'm really glad to be with you this morning. In your job, have you ever had like uh, one of those times where you get evaluated or you, you, your performance comes under review? How did you feel about it? <laughs> I can't, can't tell you when I first actually got employed down here um, being a pastor in Adelaide. I was given that, you know, they, they, they give you the big thing you've got to sign and I was, I was a good boy. I read through all the little details and I found a, um, I that I had a, a, a three-month probation period. And if I'm honest, there was a little part of me that kind of got a little bit nervous at that point. Like, who, who do I need to impress here? And who, who makes the call if I pass or fail that probation period? And what do I need to do or what do I not need to do? And, you know, imagine if after three months they asked me to leave. How much of a failure would that be? But this kind of thing is really common in life, right? Where we get evaluated by others. So all through school you have tests and exams and assignments and then maybe after school you do an apprenticeship and you go to TAFE or you go to uni or something like that and there's more tests there and then when you're in the workforce you get reviewed however often and all this kind of stuff. Maybe actually you're the kind of person who loves this because you're doing well and you love to hear people give you positive reinforcement. But I think for most of us, it's the kind of thing that makes us nervous. Like, what do these people think about me now? And, and what if I'm not up to the standard that they want me to be at? And Well, here at church, we're working through a series called Dear Church. We're looking at uh, these seven letters in the book of Revelation. Jen just read the first one to us. These are, are, are letters to seven ancient churches that are in uh, the province of Asia Minor, it's now modern-day Turkey. There you can see a picture of roughly where the seven churches are at. And these letters, they're messages that Jesus wants his churches to hear. And at first glance, it might feel like they're getting this kind of thing, a job evaluation, a performance review. You know, here comes Jesus telling them all the wrong things they're doing and if they don't fix things up, well, they better ship up or shape out or I got that the wrong way around, didn't I? They're going to get fired if they don't do the right thing. But that's actually, the letters in Revelation are not like that at all. Like, remember last week, we met, Jesus, the Lord, he's the Lord who stands with his people and his people are under pressure, they're suffering. And and their Lord who stands with them now takes a turn to talk to each of these churches very personally and he urges them to stay true to him, to stand with him just as he has stood with them. And so for us, it's really good for us to hear these things. We'll hear about how these churches are going, what they're commended for, what some of the common problems are. And, and, and as we do, we're going to have a chance to consider our own lives, where we're at as a church and as individuals, how we're going at standing with Jesus through life. But before we get into it, I just wanted to make uh, one comment we're about to get into the first letter in a moment, um, but, but, but as we read through these letters, you'll notice there's a, a common pattern to all of them. Uh, there's a structure to the letters. So as each letter is introduced, you hear the, the words to the angel in the church of, and then you fill in the, the city there. Um, and the second thing it says then is it, it gives a description of who Jesus is. These are the words of. Uh, and then we get into the body of the letter, what really Jesus is really wanting to say. And he says, I know your... He, the blank. He, he praises them for the good things that they're doing. 
And then he says, says, but I have this against you. And he calls out the church. There's issues there. Jesus calls them to repent. And then at the conclusion of each letter, he says, whoever has an ear to hear what the Spirit says, let him hear. And then to the victorious one, there's a description of an end times promise. And the victorious one, he doesn't mean someone who wins a victory by their gallant life lived for Jesus, but it's the person who shares in the victory that Jesus has already won for them. That, that, that's the pattern. Okay, We get some slight variations here and there, but, but this is the pattern we're going to see repeated again and again in the seven letters. And it's all set up in this first letter to the Ephesians, the church in Ephesus. Uh, back in the world, this city, Ephesus, was a very important city. It wasn't the, the capital city in the region, but, but it was the biggest city. It's, it's probably the most important city in terms of culture and business and this kind of thing. In fact, it's home to one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. Does anyone know which ancient wonder of the world is in the city of Ephesus? Not you, Jake. We talked about this before. That's it, Wayne. Well done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Temple of Artemis. Now, this is this was a huge deal, this place, right? It was destroyed about 1,700 years ago, so we don't know exactly what it looked like. But, but this is a, a kind of replica that some people have built. But the real temple was, was much bigger than this. Now, the real temple was about 115 metres long, 55 metres wide, at least 18 metres tall. The, 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 the um, pillars in it are said to be 18 metres tall. And it's all made pretty much of entirely of marble. It's an incredible structure. But obviously, with this big temple in there, the people of Ephesus are known to worship the god of this temple, the Greek god Artemis. That's a big part of living in Ephesus. And if you remember back to uh, Acts, where, when Paul was a missionary in Ephesus, you might remember that the silversmiths got cranky because they used to make little little uh, idols of, of Artemis. And then when people were becoming Christians, their, their business just went backwards and so they got cranky about, well, about Christianity. But anyway, this is the city of Ephesus. And in this city, there's a church. Now, when we think of church, we, we shouldn't be thinking like a, a building with a steeple somewhere down the main street of the town uh, because the church at that point didn't have any buildings at all. But these are people who are committed to Jesus, gathering in a few homes across the city, probably in the homes of wealthier people because they're bigger so they can fit more people in there. That's the, that's the church. And, and, and they are a group of very impressive people. As we look through, as Jen read through the letter before, you may have noticed that there is so much good that's said about them. Take a look again. In verse 2, we hear that they work hard for Jesus' sake. It also says there they've got perseverance. And surely you need perseverance when you live in a city where so much of life is tied to the pagan worship in this great big temple. In verse 2 we also hear that they don't tolerate wicked people and that they're they're switched on like this group. They recognise false teaching. They test it and realise that it's false. Uh, in verse 3, we hear that they're, they're persevering. Get that word again, persevering. And we also hear that they've endured hardship. You can imagine, right, that they've probably caught some flack because they don't go and join everyone else to worship the God of Artemis. In verse 6, we hear that they hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which Jesus also hates. And the, the Nicolaitans are some offshoot sect that kind of gets Christianity muddled up. But note here that the key is they don't hate the Nicolaitans, they hate the practice of the Nicolaitans. 
They're doing heaps, this church, a really impressive church. And in spite of all that they're doing, verse 3, they have not grown tired, right? They, they keep it on going. This is a very impressive church. If these guys had been around today, I reckon they'd have a great reputation all across the world. You know, they'd be known for, for standing up for Jesus in a tough place. They'd be known for the constant work that they're part of, for, for having really good teaching and, and clarity on what they believe. Maybe it's the kind of church where the pastor has released a, a, a best-selling book across the world. Maybe, maybe there's a podcast about you know, faith stories from Ephesus, something like that. It's a really impressive church. They're doing the right thing, even when it's hard. They're, they're sticking to the truth, even when there's pressure not to. They're like the Energizer Bunny. You know? They just keep going and going and going. It sounds like a great church. It doesn't sound like the kind of church you want to be part of. And you've got to think, what could be wrong here? And then we hear verse 4. Have a look at verse 4. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. So here's a church. They are really good at knowing what to do. And they do it. These guys are, are, are spot on with their doctrine and they don't compromise on that, even though that would be easier for them. But, but they've become loveless. They have forsaken the love they had at first. Which is a big deal, isn't it? I mean, think about it for a moment. What did Jesus say was the thing, the key thing that you should learn from the whole of the Old Testament. It was love, right? Check out this passage from Matthew. Jesus is talking. He says, Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love is a key and crucial part of following Jesus. But here is a church that's lost that. They've forsaken the love they had at first. What does that mean? See, when they began to follow Jesus, these people were full of love for him, what he'd done for them, who he was. And they were full of love for each other too. I mean, here are the people... Uh, who God has given them, a new spiritual family to be part of. But not only that, they were full of love for, for the city outside there too. That was God's heart for the city. He loved the city and they wanted to love their city too and to, for their city to know Jesus' love for them. But they had lost that love over the years. And it's not, friends, that good theology is unimportant. It's not that service and hard work don't matter. No, no, but without love, it's missing something, something vital. And that's the problem here. Their love had grown cold. I remember um, when I was growing back, I have, I have a, a brother who's younger than me by about uh, 15 months or so. So we're growing up together. He's just a little bit younger than me, and he was into bikes. Like, this was his obsession, for his birthday, he'd get it at subscription to, I don't know what, Australian mountain biking or some magazine like that. 
Whenever you go downtown, he'd always find some way, some reason, some excuse to slip into the bike shop and he'd goggle at all the accessories on the wall. You know, He'd come home and all he'd talk about was what was the right kind of shock absorbers to get on your mountain bike or who was going to be the next Australian champion. He loved bikes. But then he gets older and friends, do you know what is better than a bike? Not quite a motorbike. A car. And so as he gets closer to getting his licence, his love of bikes grows kind of dull and then he's all about cars. See, he'd lost his first love. Now, that's kind of trivial, right? And people change their hobbies all the time. That's no big deal. But I was watching a movie earlier this week. It's called Marriage Story. I don't know if you've seen it before. It's about a couple who are, who are getting a divorce. And through the movie, you get a glimpse now and then of the love they had for each other at one point. But then, the story goes, he became too obsessed with his work and she wanted other things in life and she didn't quite speak up very well to him and he didn't really notice when she did and there was unfaithfulness mixed in there too and on and on and on these issues until over time their love has just grown dull and cold until it wasn't there anymore. And Jesus here in, in, in Revelation is warning his church in Ephesus, don't be like that, don't lose your love. Think about it. If a church loses its love, where does that leave them? All this hard work and, and persevering and pursuing doctrinal purity, and, and these are good things, but without love, it becomes mere duty, just, just going through the motions because that's what we do. We become in, in love with the culture we've created or our theological clarity or in love with all these things, but, but we don't love Jesus and we don't love each other and we don't love the city out there. And think about it, if, think about it, if we were like this, friends, as a church, as a church, imagine if we lost our love. Imagine you know, the rest of Paraka looks in at us as a loveless church. Or, or imagine our, our kids, our young kids, they grow up and, and, and they see us as a loveless church, a church without love. What would they learn from us? It would be nothing good, would it? We do not want to become a loveless place, friends. And that's what what, what Jesus wants in this letter. He doesn't want this church to be a loveless place. And so as we read on, we see Jesus gives a three-step love recovery program. And Jesus isn't about to sweep things under the carpet. He's called his people to be known by their love. So he sees his church in Ephesus, they've lost their love. But Jesus doesn't try to hide it or just move on and forget about it. He confronts the problem and he calls on the church to deal with it. And so, as I said, he gives them this three-step love recovery program. You see in verse 5, have a look at verse 5. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Three three steps here. Step one, consider how far you've fallen. So go back, remember what it was like at first. Remember how you were full of love. Notice that things are not the same anymore, are they? And then step two, so then repent. 
Turn around, right? Change direction. Go back the other way and renew your love. Step three, do the things you did at first because, friends, love is an action. It doesn't just feel. It does. Love means action. And so Jesus calls this church to show the same kind of love they had at first, to do the same kind of things they did at first. You see what's impossible here, friends? It's impossible to hear this today and to walk out those doors and think, look, love is just, it's not that important in the Christian life, you know. As long as your doctrine's right, as long as I keep up appearances, as long as I keep up serving, like, that's good enough, isn't it? Like, come on, Jesus will be happy with that. Let's just, the job done. But no, because that's the sharp edge of this passage. Friends, we can be doing all of those things, but if we do them and don't have love, well, we're missing something, something very vital. What is that? What does Jesus say there? He says we're in danger of him coming and removing uh, our lampstand, which is his way of saying we're, of us no longer being his church. So, friends, we need to hear what the Spirit is saying in these verses. I just want us now to take some time to consider ourselves and our church and how, how we here at Trinity Church Paraka might continue in love so that we would be those who eat from the tree of life in the paradise of God. So how do we continue in love then? Well, again, there are three directions that Christian love should go. So firstly... What about us and loving Jesus? At this point, I think I want to just take a moment to to let you have time, a bit of personal reflection here. Take a moment to consider for yourself. Examine your own heart. Is your love of Jesus growing? Or is it cooling off? Have you forsaken the love you had for Jesus at first? What if the answer to that question for you is yes? What then? What do you do? Friends, remember those three steps from before. Consider what things were like in the past. Consider what it was like when your love for Jesus was running hot. Then repent. Repent of losing that love. And start doing the things that you used to do again. And perhaps if that's you, it might be worth talking to someone about that. If you're married, certainly talk to your spouse. Maybe if you've got a trusted close friend, maybe the right person to talk. Maybe your community group leader. I'm sure Ada or I would be happy to have a chat as well. But don't go on letting your love for Jesus grow cold. Secondly then, what about loving each other? What does it look like for us to continue to do this? Well, can I say, friends, I think you guys do a really good job of this. I want to commend you on the love that I see that you have for each other. I do. Um, I can see the way that you are genuinely invested in each other's life. I see and hear about the practical help that you keep offering one another. There is genuine love here. And I want to say, it's a beautiful thing, friends. Keep it up. Don't stop. Well done. 
and, and, and don't take your foot off the pedal here either, right? Like, keep doing this. And especially, I want to say as well here, keep doing this um, for, for, for people who might be on, on the fringes a little bit more. And maybe these are people who are newer to church or someone who's got a life situation that's just very different from yours or, or someone who's, whose cultural background might be different from yours. Consider how you can love them too. Yeah. This won't always be easy. In fact, loving each other is very costly. And I'm sure there'll be times when you'll find people that you find it hard to love. Even people, yes, in our church. And when that happens, it can be easy to kind of just want to take a step back and maybe if we just give each other a little bit of room, that'll be okay. We'll, we won't kind of, uh, we won't get in each other's way and, and, and that will be the way, the way that we maintain the peace. It makes things easier that way, right? That's not love, is it, friends? Instead, I want to suggest something. Here it is. Try to get to know this person deeper. Ask them about their life. Listen to their story. This was actually the advice that was given to me. I was in a different church, in a different state, and there was somebody in that church, I just found it it really hard to get along with him. Uh, I found it hard to express Christian love toward this guy. And someone gave me this advice. Get to know him deeper. Listen to his story. It was really good advice. I want to say, if you do this, it's, it's no guarantee that suddenly you'll become you know, best friends and get along like a house on fire. Look, personality clashes can be a real thing. But it will help you understand them better. Understand where they're coming from. It will help you develop you know, some empathy for them. And help you grow your love for them. Certainly that was my experience. But just I want to say, you are doing well at loving each other. So keep at it. Keep at it. And we want to continue loving Jesus and loving each other. But there's the something more. It's it, that the, the Jesus, he, he shapes our love for the world, our, the city, the, the, the folks outside here, around Paraka and Para Hills and Ingle Farm and, and beyond. <laughs> Jesus shapes our love for the world, not that we, that we want to be involved in worldliness or share all the values of our culture, but Jesus calls us to love the world like he does. That is, the, the gospel news of life and hope in Jesus, that's not just for us in this room, right? It's for everyone out there. So we want to love people. We want to help them get to know about the love Jesus has for them too. And in doing that, I just want to remind you of of two things, two simple things you can do to keep loving our city, our area, the north of Adelaide. It is very simple. The first one is to pray. Uh, I'm sure plenty of you have heard me say this before, but but here it is again. Uh, There are five days in the working week. So dedicate each of those days to pray for a particular friend of yours. This is someone that you know who doesn't know Jesus. So on Monday, I pray for Todd, one of the dads at my daughter's school. On Tuesday, I pray for Brian, who lives up the street here. And and so on and so on, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Uh, Pray for them. Pray for their salvation. Pray that God would use you in that and do that week after week after week after week. Pray. And then also, can I say, we have a um, season of mission as a church coming up here. We're going to launch it at Combined Sunday next week. So again, that's another good reason. Don't come here next Sunday. Be up at Padere College. Get there. We'll give you more details then in the weeks afterwards. But I want to say today, 
decide now that you'll be involved. It might be hard work, but it'll be good work. It'll be loving work. Friends, continue in love. Love the world. Love our city like Jesus does. Grow deeper in your love for one another. Grow deeper in your love for our Lord Jesus. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us, which is good and right and appropriate for us to hear. Please keep teaching us to love like you have loved. Grow our love for our city. Grow our love for each other. And grow our love for the Lord Jesus. We pray that this would be honouring to you as we do it. In Jesus' name, amen.